this morning we're going to begin this series, five-week series that we're calling Life Is. Let me start by asking a question. What, you ready? <clears throat> what is your philosophy of life? Maybe thinking, wow, that's a deep question to start with, right? Because everybody has one. Everybody in the room has a philosophy of life. Like if you could sum up what life is to you in a sentence, how would you sum it up? That's kind of the question, right? How would you sum it up in a sentence or a phrase? Life is fill in the blank. Because all of us in the room have some sort of working philosophy of life. Let me tell you what I mean. Let me show you what I mean. There are some philosophies of life. Just listen to some of these philosophies of life. One philosophy of life says this, life is, you ready? Just finishing the sentence, life is a song, so sing it. Life is a game, so play it. Life is a challenge, so meet it. Life is a dream, so realize it. Life is a sacrifice, so offer it. Life is love, enjoy it. Ted Turner has a philosophy of life. He says life is a game. He says money is how we keep score in this game. Great American philosopher, see if you can recognize this American philosopher, said this, life is a box of chocolates. Anybody recognize that? That comes from who? Say it out loud. It's actually his mom, I think. But life is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. The great philosopher John Wayne said this, life is hard. It's just harder if you're stupid, is what he says. That's worth writing down, right? I like that one. I like this one, right? This is worth writing down. Life is, life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. I like that one, right? <laughs> this person write a philosophy of life and they said this, life is not a fairy tale. Amen? And, but they're not done. They said life is not a fairy tale. If you lost your shoe at midnight, you probably were drunk is what they said. That is a philosophy of life. Charles Swindoll said this, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Another philosopher said this, life is a dream for the wise, a game for the fool, a comedy for the rich, a tragedy for the poor. We all have a, you have a philosophy of life. You maybe haven't thought about it that way, but you have a philosophy of life. You have a way that you would finish that sentence. Life is. It might not be this cute little saying like they said. You might not be able to condense it to a sentence. You might not be able to condense it to a phrase, but you have a philosophy of life. For the next five weeks, I want to talk about this whole idea of life is because for the follower of Jesus, you ready? For somebody who would say, I'm a disciple, a follower, whatever word, I'm a follower of Jesus. We said last week, life is attached to Jesus. Life is Jesus is what we said. And so for followers of Jesus, life is all about being attached to Jesus. We're attached to Jesus as our savior and our leader. And because we're attached to Jesus, Jesus says something about life. In John chapter 10, he says this, the thief, he's talking about Satan there, by the way, comes only to steal, and I think also false religious leaders, but the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I'd love for you to read the yellow out loud with me like a big choir. Can we do that? I have come. 
Life attached to Jesus is life to the fool. That's what he's saying. Life attached to Jesus is abundant life. When I attach my life to the yoke, we talked about last week, of his teaching, that is life to the fool. When I recognize the constant presence of Jesus in my life, that's abundant life, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. We said it this way. It's gonna get us where we're going today. We said that what our prayer is, is like the old Hebrew prayer. We want the dust of our teacher or our rabbi to stick to our lives. We want our lives so attached to Jesus, the dust of his life sticks to ours. And here's what we said. We said that for the dust of Jesus to stick to our life is what it means to live life in the spirit to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we're in Romans 8, because Romans 8 is all about life attached to Jesus. Romans 8 is all about what it means to live life in the Spirit. Uh, Several months ago, we spent six weeks, some of you were here for this, six weeks and we covered the entire storyline of the Bible. Some of you, raise your hand if you were here for that. It was called Long Story Short. Six weeks, entire Bible. We are gonna, for the next five weeks, cover one chapter of the Bible. Go figure, right? One chapter, five weeks. Because here's what I want you to hear me say. All of the Bible is inspired by God. All of the Bible is equally inspired. Can we just say this? All of the Bible is probably not equally inspiring. Can we just say that? But Romans 8 is. Romans 8 is one of the most inspiring parts of the entire Bible. A guy named John Piper said this. We'll throw it on the screen. The greatest book in the world is the Bible. The greatest letter in that book, in his opinion, is Romans. And the greatest chapter in that letter is chapter 8. Alistair Begg, you might recognize that name. He's a pastor in Cleveland, said this. Romans 8 starts with no condemnation from the wrath of God, ends with no separation from the love of God, it just stands to reason that it is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. And Romans 8, if you have it open, starts this way. It starts this way, therefore, everybody read the yellow out loud with me, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to a church. Here's what I want you to get. Paul's writing to a church, and the church that he's writing to is the church in, guess, where's that? In where? That was terrible. It was in where? Say it out loud. In Rome. That's why it's called Romans, right? And he's writing, Wayne, to religious people and irreligious people, right? He's writing to people who would say, I'm a church person, and he's writing to people who aren't a church person, so to speak. And what he's saying is this. He wants them to know that when your life is attached to Jesus, I want you to write this down. Life is freedom. It is freedom. It almost reminds me old Braveheart movie, right? Where he said, freedom, right? Like Paul is yelling freedom in Romans 8. He's saying there is no condemnation. He said there is now no condemnation. And he's saying that because he knows something. Why is he saying life is freedom? Here's why he's saying it. Because he knows then as now both religious people and irreligious. So you figure out where you fit in that, right? You might be saying, I'm a religious person. Whether you're religious or you're irreligious, he knows this, that he needs to start by saying life is freedom. You know why? Because he knows then and now tons of people, everybody look here, tons of people, everybody look here, 
tons of people, even in this room, are living their life in a prison. And some of you are this morning. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you need to hear what Paul has to say. You're saying, I am, I'm free, I'm here, but you're living in a prison. You're saying, what kind of prison is that? What do you mean I'm living in a prison? Well, can I suggest there's three prisons? There's, there's maybe more, there's probably a ton more, but there's at least three that I think are easy to identify. Some of you are here this morning and you're living your life in a prison and the prison that you're living in is the prison of your past. You can't seem to shake your guilt. You can't seem to get away from your shame. It's like a shadow follows you everywhere. You live in this prison of guilt and regret. You're trying to run from your regrets. It's almost like you're in a prison and somebody threw away the key. It's like all of your life is somehow flavored by your past. You can't get away from it. You can't somehow run from it. And so you live life locked up in the decisions that you made, in the regrets that you have, in the shame that you feel, in the guilt that really is there. And so you live in this prison, the prison of your past. Some of you, some of you have escaped that prison only to find yourself in another prison because you escaped the prison of your past so that you could go to the prison of religion. And that prison is all about the prison of performance. And some of you are in that this morning. You're in this prison of performance. Some of you grew up this way. This prison of performance says this, that I got to perform a certain way in order to gain acceptance. I got to perform a certain way in order to get attention, maybe from my dad. And some of you have transferred that over to God. That somehow you live in this prison that I've got to perform, I got to earn God's attention and God's favor. You're locked up in a prison of wondering if you're making the grade. You're locked up in this prison if you're good enough is really, really good enough. And that prison somehow leads to other prisons because the prison of performance leads to this prison of comparing. And some of you are there this morning because you're comparing your life to somebody, well, I'm not doing as well as them or at least I'm doing better than them, and that leads to another prison. And you know what that prison is? It's the prison of pride. Because when I look at somebody else say, I'm at least doing better than them, all of a sudden I'm filled with what? Pride and arrogance. Some of you are in that prison. There are others of you that you're like, man, I can't quite even keep my own standards, let alone God's, so you live in a different prison, and that prison is the prison of pretending. Some of you are in that prison, right? Can we just say this? that church people are the worst at this prison. Can I get an amen on that? Like they really are. Can I get an amen? Yeah, they are, right? Like, like here's how it works. Like you drive to church, right? And you, you have a fight with your husband or your wife. You're yelling at the kids. You're screaming. You're losing your mind, right? And then you walk in, shake the greeter's hand and they say, good morning, how are you? You say, I'm doing well, how are you, right? Amen. Some of you did that this morning, right? You're in this prison of pretending. I love a way a guy... This is a great visual, right? A guy named Joby Martin said, this prison of pretending is like, think about this, is like trying to keep a beach ball underwater. You ever try to do that? It keeps popping back up. It's like almost impossible. Some of you feel that pressure and it's like this prison. We gotta make sure people think we're okay. You see, that's why it is so important that Paul says there is freedom. Everybody look here, but before he says there's freedom, you know what he says? Before he says there is no condemnation, now you know what he says? He says, therefore. Like that word doesn't seem that important to us, right? It's like, wow, he just threw that in there. But he says, therefore, you know why he says, therefore? He says, therefore, because he wants you to take notice of what was before. And what he said before is why therefore is therefore. You got me? Are you with me? Just shake your head. Are you tracking with me? Because there's a lot he said before. 
He said, therefore. And what he said before, therefore, is important for you to understand what he's gonna say after therefore. You're saying, what did he say before? What was it he says before the therefore? Here's what he says. Listen, listen, listen. Chapters one through three Romans, here's what he says. He says, we all, we all, and that means all, all of us, all of us in this room, let's just say it that way, all of us are condemned. All of us are sinners. There's the good news, right? All of us are sinners. We fall short of God's glory. That's what he says before the therefore. But it's not just chapters one through three. He says something interesting. See if you can relate with this in chapter seven, right before we get to chapter eight. Look at the screen. This is the apostle Paul writing this. See if you can relate to Paul. So I find this law, and when he uses law in that way, he's saying this principle at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Anybody tracking? For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He's like, I like hearing the word, reading the word. I like listening to others teach on the word. But I see this other law or principle at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What he's saying is, look here a second. He's saying earlier in the chapter, he says, the good things I want to do, I, I can't seem to get done. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing them. Anybody with Paul? Anybody relate with Paul? It leads him to say this, what a wretched man I am. He's like desperate. He's like, who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Like, like Paul was saying, I can't seem to get it done. I'm like a mess. Look what he says, verse 25. Everybody read the yellow out loud with me. Paul says what? He says, thanks be to God, who, did the yellow just come up? Everybody say, come on, Mitchell. Everybody say, come on, Mitchell. Will you read the yellow out loud with me now? Mitchell, was that a joke you were pulling on me back here? He's like, shit, no, it wasn't. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Ready? Everybody read it with me out loud. Thanks be to And then he says, therefore. He says, thanks be to God because somehow Jesus changes this mess I'm in. And he says, therefore, there is now. Why does he say now? Because this isn't a future possibility. It is present reality. He says, there is no condemnation. We're gonna get back to that. For those who are in Christ Jesus, one of Paul's favorite expressions. What he's saying is this. He's saying that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no penalty, no sentence. There's no debt to be paid. That's what he's saying. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Everybody look here. It means to attach my life to Jesus. It means to say yes to Jesus. You may never have heard this before, but what it means to be in Christ Jesus is that I've attached my life to Jesus, that I realize that when I attach my life to Jesus, that when he died on the cross, guess what he died? Galatians says this, he was condemned. You know why? Because he was condemned for what I'm condemned for. He paid the price or he took my condemnation so that when I attach my life to him and say, yes, I'm throwing myself on you, he takes my condemnation, get this, and I get his righteousness. And that when I'm in Christ Jesus, you may not have known this, that when God looks at me, guess what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That is mind-blowing. If it doesn't blow your mind, maybe it's never quite exploded in your life. 
that when I'm in Christ Jesus, when God looks at me, he's like, I see the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because when I attach my life to Jesus, he took my condemnation. That is the principle of justification. I am declared innocent. Listen, you know what Paul's saying? Everybody listen, I'm, I'm very serious right now. We have so many ways we categorize and classify people in our world. Paul said, basically, there's two types of people in our world. In this room, there's two types of people. In this room right now, there's two types of people, those who are in Christ Jesus and those who aren't. That's what he's saying. He's saying there are those who are in Christ Jesus and there are those who aren't. And those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. Those who are not in Christ Jesus, they still stand condemned. Those who are in Christ Jesus, they realize that Jesus was condemned so that they could be declared not guilty. Why is that important? The reason it's important is this. This is something I do want you to write down. It's one of two big points today. That if I am in Christ... I am free from the penalty of my sin. I am free. I am declared not guilty. I am justified. I am legally, legally declared innocent. It's a term that means there is no charge against me. It has been removed and it cannot return. Regardless of what bad things I've done, that's my guilt, or what good things I'm doing, that I am declared innocent because and only because I am in Christ. You tracking? So important to understand what it means to be declared innocent. So important what it means to be in Christ. Two types of people in this room, those who are in Christ and those who aren't. Can I ask you a question this morning and then I'm gonna keep going? Are you in Christ? Don't answer too quick. Are you in Christ? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you attached your life to Christ? He said, for those who have, you need to know this, that you are free from the penalty of sin. I love something that, you can write this down if you want. A guy named Rankin Wilborn says, he says, God doesn't love you to the degree that you're like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you're in Christ. Some of you need to hear that this morning because in Christ, in Christ, I have no condemnation. Now, now listen. Why is that important for me to know? Everybody listen. It'll change the way you understand what it means to follow Jesus. Okay? It'll change totally the way you understand what it means to follow Jesus. There's this 20th century Welsh preacher whose name was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And this is what he said. Listen, I think it's a profound statement. He said, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of Romans 8.1. I'm gonna say that again so you understand the importance of what I wanna show you. He says, most of your troubles in life, my troubles in life, are due to our failure to understand the truth of this verse. He goes on to say this, the reason that most of our troubles are that way is on the one hand, because we don't understand Romans 8.1, we feel more guilt, unworthiness, and pain than we should. We're hypersensitive to criticism. We're defensive. We lack confidence in our prayer life and our worship. That's what he says. And it leads us to addictive behavior at times that is a reaction many times to our guilt and unworthiness. Listen close. Some of you grew up in church. On the other hand, when we don't understand this passage, Romans 8.1, we will have far less motivation to live a holy life. 
Now listen, some of you grew up this way. I've talked to some of you. You grew up in church. You grew up in religion. If you don't understand Romans 8, 1, Christians who don't understand what it means to, to have no condemnation in Christ obey Jesus, listen, out of fear and duty instead of love and gratitude. Huge difference. This, this dude, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, says this, that the difference... Okay, this is powerful for me. The difference between somebody who's not a follower of Jesus sinning and somebody who is a follower of Jesus sinning, he said for somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, when they sin, it's like breaking the law. It's like, it's like when, when you go over the speed limit or you, you get a ticket or you end up in jail because you broke the law. He says, for the follower of Jesus, it's much bigger than that because it's not just I broke the law, but it's about somehow violating the relationship. It's somehow, it would be not like breaking the law, the police catching me, but it would be like somehow me offending and hurting and betraying my wife. I don't know about y'all. I'll take a ticket from a cop any day. <laughs> Amen? Amen? That's what he's saying. Why? Because I absolutely adore that woman. You see how that works? He's saying, well, if we don't understand this, we'll never get our head around what does it mean to live this thing called the Christian life. Now look at this. I've got to show you this. Verse 2, you've got to see this. I realize when you read Romans 8, can we just say the obvious? Like if you just read it, you'd be like, huh? So let's make sense of it because there is such power in this passage. Verse 2, no condemnation because through Christ Jesus... The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We'll come back to that. Verse three, I want you to see this. For what the law was, what's that next word? What the law was what? Powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Everybody look here, I want to tell you something. The law is unable to change me. Everybody say it with me out loud. The law is unable to change me. Why? Why in the world is the law unable? To, let me tell you two reasons. First is this, because all the law does is points out sin in my life. If you want to think about the law, the law works this way. It's like the out of bounds line in the football game. It's like the lines on the road. It tells me when I'm off the road. It tells me when I'm out of bounds. That's what the law does. It's not able to change me. It just shows me when I'm out of bounds. But can I tell you something else maybe you never thought about when you thought about the law? It doesn't just point out sin. You ready? This is going to confuse some of you. It doesn't just point out sin in my life. You ready? Sometimes it provokes sin in my life. Now, that's weird, isn't it? You're like, what do you mean, Dan? Well, what I mean is this. If somebody tells you don't do something, for some of us in the room, what do we want to do? We want to do what we were told not to do, right? I'll prove this to you. You know, the young fellow up here leading worship? His name's Garrett. He's one of our interns. I love Garrett. I love him to death. We had what we call production meeting Friday about 10 o'clock. Bunch of young, they're all probably like 20 some years younger than me. I come in and man, I got a lot going on on Friday, right? And so I say, hey guys, we got to meet. And we usually cut up and laugh through, you know, we just have a great time. I love hanging out with those guys. I, but I looked at him and I said, listen, we got some things to cover. And I said, listen, guys, no laughing today. Guess what happened? The dude laughed the whole meeting. I'm like, why are you laughing? You know what he told me? Because you told me not to. You see, that's the way the law works. 
Sometimes it provokes sin in us. It's unable to change us. That's why he says this. He says it was weakened by the flesh, but look what he says. But God did what the law couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's simply Jesus came with a body to be a sin offering. That's what happened when he died. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. When he did that, boom, he took care of the problem in order that the righteous requirement of the law, the debt's been paid, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh. Listen, this is worth writing down somewhere. I want you to write it down. Life in Christ is not about what I do. It's about what God has done. Come on. Some of us have grown up and we're like, it's all about what I do and keep and do and do and do and do and do. And we forget that life in Christ is all about what God has done. Uh, Maybe you can think of it this way. Religion, some of you would say I'm religious, is DIY. DIY is pretty popular nowadays, right? YouTube things, DIY stands for what? Do it yourself, right? Do it yourself. The gospel is... God already did. God already did. It is a huge difference. He did it by sending his son. See, the fact of the matter is, in Christ, the requirements, the, the, the requirements were paid. The debt has been fully cared for. Guy, listen to this. Let me help you make sense of this. There's a guy, you can forget this, but this old preacher, he's fun to read for me, Charles Spurgeon. That may ring a bell to some of you. He used to say this. Now listen, because I like when there's statements that mess you up a little bit. So let this mess you up a little bit so that it makes sense, okay? Let it mess you up. Charles Spurgeon used to say, for those in Christ, so we've been talking about that, it would be unjust for God to hold them responsible for their sin. You know why? For those in Christ, it would be unjust for God to hold them responsible for their sin. You know why? Because if he did, he would be requiring two payments for the same debt. You're saying, help me understand that. I'd be glad to. Imagine my friend Wayne. I like you in the front row, brother. You look good. But imagine Wayne owes $400 utility bill. And imagine Wayne just cannot pay it. He could, but, but imagine he just couldn't. And he's like, man, I got 400 bucks, utility bill, can't pay it. Like, I need help, somebody help me. And imagine Wayne was friends with my buddy Sammy over here. And Sammy's like, I'd be happy to pay your $400 utility bill. Imagine, because I like playing this role, I was the bill collector, right? And so imagine I said, Wayne, 400 bucks. And Wayne looked and pointed to Sammy and he said, he is gonna write the check graciously for me. And imagine Sammy came to me and he brought me a check, 400 bucks. And in the memo, it says to pay for Wayne's utility bill. Imagine I receive that. He receives the gift from Sammy. Sammy pays the debt to me. Imagine I got 400 bucks for Wayne's utility bill. How just would I be to come back knocking at his door saying, I still haven't received from you $400 for your utilities. You see how that works? That would be unjust. That would be me saying, I want $800 for your $400 bill. Why? Debt's been paid. Listen to me. When Jesus died for you, he died for all the debt you owed. And he said, I'll write the check in the memo. It says paid in full. 
paid in full. All the requirements are met. Jesus came, listen, listen close. Some of you need to hear what I'm going to say. Jesus came to deal with our sin. He didn't come just to be a self-help life coach. He didn't come just to be like an inspiring example. He's that, yes. He came to deal with our sin so that there is no condemnation. We're out of the prison of our past, out of the prison of performance, out of the prison of, of pretending. Listen to what I want to tell you. This will change some of you in the way you look at the Christian life. When I begin to understand that, I, I understand something about what it means to live the Christian life. Forgiveness, listen close. I do not want to be misunderstood. Forgiveness, forgiveness, you ready? Forgiveness is accompanied by change. Listen close. I don't change to acquire forgiveness. Say that again. Forgiveness is accompanied by change. I don't change to acquire forgiveness. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. Be happy to. John 8, you ought to read the story. Fascinating. John 8, Jesus is in the scene and a bunch of really religious, self-righteous guys drag a woman out, and here's what it says, caught in adultery. And that means everything that you can imagine. They caught her in the act of adultery, drag her out in the middle of the street. And here's what they said. She is a sinner. And what she's condemned, and what she deserves is for us to stone her. They all grab their stones. And they look at Jesus, because they're trying to trick Jesus. They don't really like Jesus. And they say, what do you think? Love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? You know what he does? He bends down and starts writing in the dirt. I love that. Wouldn't you love to know what he was writing? I would. But eventually, he just says this. Read the story. John 8. He says, I'd go for it. Stoner. But let the one among you who has no sin, be the one to cast the very first stone. Jesus just has a way of, bam. And one by one, from youngest to oldest, they drop the rocks. That's not where the story ends. So eventually it's just Jesus writing in the dirt and this woman. And he looks up and there she is. He's like, where are those who accused you? She said, they're all gone, but you're here, Jesus. I'm in your presence, Jesus. You haven't left, Jesus. There's one more yet to condemn me, Jesus. And you know what he said? Don't miss this. He said, neither do I. The only one who could, the only one who could, the only one who had no sin, he said, neither do I condemn you. Forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of what? Sin. Everybody listen. It's not until I realize my standing in Christ that I'll understand what it means to live for Christ. It's not until I understand my standing in Christ, no condemnation, that I'll understand what it means to walk as a follower of Christ. That's why this is important. That spiritual maturity isn't keeping all the rules. You know what spiritual maturity is? It's living into who I am in Christ.
That's what it is. You see, and that's kind of what Paul spends his time talking about. And I want to show you some things and clear up some misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? And Mitchell, we've picked on. He does a great job. Give him a big hand back there, Mitchell, yeah? I have no idea where I'm going, brother. Just keep up, okay? Because I'm going to skip some things, all right? So it's not his fault if he's not with me. Romans 8, chapter 4 says this. This is when I understand my standing, then I'm ready to walk. He says, we don't walk or live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Everybody look here, and I, I make quick work of this. He said there's two ways we can walk, two ways we can live. According to the flesh, sinful nature, according to the spirit, two ways you can walk, Okay. And so what he says is that if we walk according to the flesh, look at what he says in verse six. He says, when I walk according to the flesh, I need to know that where I look is where I'll walk. What I focus on is what I follow, verse six. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. It's hopeless. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. He's contrasting them. The life governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Listen, I cannot, everybody, I want to tell you this. I cannot please God if I'm trusting my flesh, whether I'm religious or irreligious. Let me throw a quote up here that makes the point, and this usually leaves people unsettled, but it's one of my favorite quotes. It's in my office on my door. You can run from God two ways, either by breaking his rules or by keeping them. That's weird. The former says God doesn't own me. The latter says God owes me. Here's what he's saying. I can run from God by just being a hellion and I'm, I'm going to, you know, God doesn't own me. I'm going to do whatever I want. The, uh, so that's the flesh. That's my sinful nature. The other way for me to run from God is to say I can keep all the rules. I can do this on my own. I can perform. I can achieve. I can... Both ways run from God. And both ways run out from being in Christ. The fact of the matter is that when Paul talks about this, he says, I can either walk according to the sinful nature or according to the spirit, which leads to verse nine. And then I want to clear some misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit up. Verse nine, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, That all sounds confusing. We're going to explain it. But in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Everybody look here a second. Well, it makes sense to this. He changes the pronouns. He says, you're different. You don't walk according to the flesh. You're different. Why? You're different because you belong to Christ. We're different not because we just believe different beliefs, behave different behaviors. We're different because we belong to Jesus. When we're in Christ, we belong to Jesus. And he goes on to say this. He says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Over and over again, 
Okay, tough stuff. Look here, let's make sense of it. He says that if I'm in Christ, I belong to Christ. And that if I belong to Christ, over and over again in these verses, he says this, that if I belong to Christ, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit lives inside of me. He says it over and over again, he lives. And that word that he uses is not this like, he's an occasional guest who shows up. It's, he's like a permanent dweller in my home. So he says, now, now first, let me just clear something up. I wanna clear something up right now, okay? I get asked this all the time, and I believe people who are in churches get confused about this. And it's like, they'll ask me, are you a follower of Christ? And I'll say, yes. And they'll say, have you received the Holy Spirit? They'll ask me, have you received the Holy Spirit? And there are people who think that somehow that you be become a follower of Christ and then receiving the Holy Spirit is the second experience. Everybody look here. Paul says, uh-uh. If I belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Right? The Holy Spirit dwells in me the moment I'm in Christ. That's what he's saying. If I belong to Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives in me. Why is that important? I want you to write this down. Second big point today. Because not only does Christ and me being in Christ free me from the penalty of sin, but if the Holy Spirit is in me, I can be free from the power of sin. This is so important for some of you to know today. God sent Jesus to break the penalty of sin and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to break the power of sin. Some of you are like, I'm not sure how to get out of this cycle. I just keep sinning. I keep sin, I don't, I don't, I, the power of sin, but I would say I'm a follower of Christ. And, and what Paul is saying is this, is that when I understand that if I'm in Christ, no condemnation, then he says, live into who you are. Well, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and me understanding how the Holy Spirit works inside of me is the secret to me being free from the power of sin in my life. So how does that work? Three things and we're done. Three things, we're gonna fly, Mitchell. Three things, we're done, but you gotta get this. Because there's so much confusion about the Holy Spirit, unfortunately. Three things. Look back at Romans 8, 5. First is this. Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their what? Everybody say it out loud. Have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. I want you to write this down. I want to explain it to you. Freedom is experienced when I focus on what the Holy Spirit desires. I walk where I look. I follow what I focus on. That's not like some Bible teaching. That is just life. Somebody cuts you off driving, what do you usually yell out the window? In a Christian sort of manner, I'm sure. But you're like, watch where you're going, right? Why? Because you look where you're going. And where you look is where you're going, you focus on what, you, that's why texting and driving, can we stop it please, okay? Like, like we watch and we follow what we focus on. That's all he's saying. But here's what he's saying. If I wanna know 
how to experience the power of the freedom from my sin by, by somehow the, the, recognizing the presence of the work of the Spirit, he's saying this, that those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds, their focus set on what the Spirit desires. Everybody look here, I'm gonna clear this up. He doesn't say they have their focus on the Spirit. Can we just say that? Because we live in a time when everybody's all fascinated with the spirit. I need more of the spirit. I need an experience with the spirit. I need to be, I need a spiritual quiver in my liver to say, oh, the spirit, right? That's not what he says. I'm not picking on that. It's not what he says. Please hear this. Because I think people that do that, they chase an experience. They chase an experience. They chase an experience. And that's not even what he's saying. What he's saying is they have their minds focused on what the spirit desires. For the sake of time, just write this down. We won't put the verse up there. Write John 16. Write John 16. And then I want to I, I show you what John 16 teaches so that you understand what in the world does the Spirit desire because this is important. Go to the next slide, Mitchell. Leave this up a while. I'm going to teach my class. I teach a college class. I'm going to teach them this this week. John 16 teaches us this, that the Spirit of God reveals the truth of the Word of God. Spirit of God always works through the Word of God. Reveals the truth of the Word of God to the child of God in order to make a big deal of the Son of God. Please get that. Like if somehow you've had this experience with the Spirit that doesn't make a big deal of Jesus, that probably isn't an experience with the Spirit. Because John 16 says, He comes to glorify me. And he teaches us truth that comes through the word of God. And so how does the spirit remind us or help us to focus on what he desires? That's our mind set on whatever makes Jesus a big deal. Because I'm in Christ, I'm a child of God, I'm forgiven, I'm justified, I'm chosen, I'm rescued from darkness, I'm God's special workmanship. Because I belong to Christ, I have hope, healing, purpose, vision. The point is this, what I focus on is what I follow. So many people are like, I want the spirit to take over my life. He's like, then I want you to focus on what the word of God says that makes a big deal about the son of God in your life. And it says this, that when I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven. When I'm in Christ, I'm a child. When I'm in Christ, I'm his workmanship. And being somebody who is in Christ, I'm gonna focus because I'm gonna follow what I focus and I find what he desires in the word of God. So many people are like, I just need the spirit to give me, oh, how's coming? It's like there's no freedom. They're in prison to an experience. And what he says is they have their mind set on what the spirit desires, which leads to this second thing. He says, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body's subject to death because of the spirit, the spirit gives life Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Over and over again, he says, the spirit lives in you if you're in Christ. What's that mean? I want you to write this down. Freedom, freedom is found and experienced when I focus on what the spirit desires and then freedom is enjoyed as I fellowship with the spirit. I wanna teach you something about sin right now. I want you to teach you something about sin. What if, I think we think wrong about sin. Some of you are followers of Christ. 
What if the greatest danger and consequence to our sin, everybody look here a second, what if the greatest danger wasn't what sin did to you or to others? Listen close. But what if the greatest danger and consequence to our sin was that it broke fellowship with the Holy Spirit? This isn't a mystical, like this isn't like some weird teaching. I have been married for 30 years. What I did when I got married to Jennifer, I attached my life to her. Like we are one, two become one. And two becoming one means we focus together on the same goals, vision, purpose. We have focus. And because we have focused together over time, guess what? We have fellowship. There's this intimacy that happens. Can, can, can I just tell you something? That, that, that we over 30 years have faced some awful things, some terrible circumstances, walked with people through some awful things. And when I'm focused with Jennifer and we're sharing fellowship, I can take any mountain, but I can barely stand it. I can barely stand it. See if you can't agree with me. If we have a night where we're not focused together and fellowship is broken and we're not talking and I've hurt her and I've deeply offended her, and I've deeply betrayed her, and we're existing in different parts of the house. It's in those moments when I think there is no mountain I'd wanna try to climb. See, what if it was that way with the Holy Spirit? What if it was that way with the Holy Spirit that if I focus on what he desires, making a big deal of Jesus in my life, and the more I focus on that, the more I experience fellowship, I can take any mountain. And guess what happens? That as I fellowship because I'm focused, all of a sudden this freedom in my life is demonstrated by producing the life of Jesus in my life. The more I focus and fellowship and realize who I am, the more I grow up into who I am. And the more I grow up into who I am, all of a sudden the more the life of Jesus starts to show up in my life. And the more the life of Jesus starts to show up in my life, it's what the Bible calls the fruit of the what? Spirit. That's the way the Holy Spirit works, guys. It's freedom that comes from a focus that develops a fellowship that produces a fruit. That's the way it works. Paul says this, I gotta know, am I in Christ? Can I, can I ask you a question? I'm done. Are you in Christ? Not are you in church. Are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. If you're not in Christ, if you've never said yes to Jesus, All of us who've not said yes to Jesus, we stand condemned already is what the Bible teaches. But for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Debt's been paid completely. And when I know there is no condemnation, there's freedom from the penalty of sin, then I realize that the Spirit of God lives inside and then I can begin to experience what it means to walk in the Spirit and experience the power from the freedom, the the freedom from the power of sin in my life, how do I experience that? I focus on what the Spirit desires. As I focus, I have fellowship, and then I'm free to please God by producing fruit so that others can see the life of Jesus in me. Father, we're done. And across this room, there are some in this room who are not in Jesus. And I'm gonna ask you, there's no music, no emotional plea, I just wanna talk straight with you this morning. 
Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you said yes to Jesus? Like, like, like if you're hearing, like, I'm in church, I'm religious, that's not what I'm asking. Like, I keep all the rules, that's not what I'm asking. The, the, the law can't change you. I'm asking, are you, have you attached your life to Jesus? Have you said, yes, Jesus, I'm throwing all of my condemnation on Jesus so that I can be wrapped in his righteousness? If you haven't, why not right there in your seat? Just say, God, I know that I am a sinner condemned and I know Jesus died for me and this morning I'm throwing all of me onto Jesus as the only one who can save me, as the one who took my condemnation so that I can be forgiven. And literally you walk out of this room this morning, if that's the prayer of your heart, there is now, when? Now, this moment, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those of you who would say you're in Christ Jesus, can I ask you this? Do you walk with the recognition that the spirit of Jesus has set up permanent residence in your life? Can I ask you, what are you focused on? Are you focused on what the spirit desires? He desires that Jesus be a big deal in your life that you know who you are in Jesus, that you know what you have because of Jesus, and that you spend the rest of your life focused on what he desires so that you can enjoy fellowship with Jesus, so that you can produce the life of Jesus. And there's freedom because Jesus said, I came to give life to the full, life abundant. Some of you are here and you're in prison. Like I'm in Christ, but I live like I'm in prison. And he says, get out of that prison Get out of that prison and begin to walk in the freedom of focusing on what the Spirit desires, that you are created in Christ Jesus to do things that he prepared in advance for you to do, that you are his special poem, that you are his son, his daughter, that you are a co-heir with Christ. And he says, spend the rest of your life living into who you are. And that's what it means to grow up and have fellowship with Jesus. And as you do that, you don't become an arrogant egghead that knows a lot about the Bible, but you become somebody who gives your life away because your life produces the life of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit. And so God, help us. Help us to somehow focus and follow in such a way that develops this intimate fellowship and produces incredible fruit. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.